A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad you've joined us on the program today. Uh, so I told you yesterday our friend Selena Zito was going to be dropping by, but uh, unfortunately, Selena apparently still feeling under the weather. So uh, we're going to try to reconnect with her in the uh, not too distant future. But we do have uh, uh, some very interesting stuff to talk about here in uh, just a moment or two. Before we get to that, however, with the political pressure of the left and the woke mob that is the Democrat Party these days. You know, our society is in danger of becoming controlled by the cancel culture elites. Since when have the founders of our Constitution or the creators of the American flag or figures like Dr. Seuss or anything and everything else that you can imagine become anti-American and in danger of cancellation? There has never been a better time in our nation's history to stand up against this woke mob and fight back, and you can do just that. With this exclusive offer that I'm giving to my listeners and viewers right now for a limited time only, it's your chance to win a signed photo from President Trump himself. All you have to do is uh, text the word TRUMP to 55404 today to enter. That's T-R-U-M-P to 55404. Not only will you be taking a stand against the radical left, but you'll be entering to win a piece of history. You can join the millions of Americans in standing up for President Trump and canceling the radical left once and for all. Paid for by the National Republican Senatorial Committee. So, at Bearing Arms today, uh, we've got a story about a new morning consult poll showing the uh, fact that uh, gun control is politically toxic to rural voters right now. But what's interesting is that it's not just rural voters. You know, the majority of the Democrat Party is still very much in favor of any and all gun control laws that you can think of. But there is a small portion of the left, uh, many of whom are not just opposed to new gun control laws, but they are opposed to incarceration, right? There, there, there is a wing of the Democrat Party that says, hey, listen, these gun control laws end up putting people in prison, primarily young black and brown men who don't have any uh, significant criminal history, uh, and these laws have to go away, right? We've seen folks on the left from public defenders in uh, New York City, uh, Cook County, Illinois, you know, there have been some Democrats who've been speaking up, particularly with the right to carry case that's before the Supreme Court right now. But I was, you know, again, there's no doubt where the the majority of the Democrat Party is. And so today's story is more of a, a tale of two headlines. We've got uh, uh, this piece talking about what's going on in Baltimore. Gun seizures. Yeah. First step in crime fight in Baltimore. Baltimore police said it's continuing its efforts to crack down on violence in the city. Most recently, department said officers recovered a number of guns and made several arrests last week. Baltimore city leaders have said in the past that this has a direct effect on public safety. In a separate operation, Mayor Brandon Scott and Police Commissioner Michael Harrison said the arrest would bring peace to families and neighborhoods. So, and again, this, this is not unique to Baltimore, right? Uh, Eric Adams in New York, his tough on crime strategy really is about being tough on guns. Uh, we've seen, you know, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, right? Got to go after the guns. That, that, I mean, it's the focus of many Democratic politicians. We got to do something to get the guns off the street. That's why we're having these uh, gun buybacks, quote unquote, right? Well, for another angle on this, uh, there's a, a website, Battleground Baltimore. I guess a group, Battleground Baltimore. They released a, a report last week. Uh, and a website called uh, therealnews.com uh, ended up covering this report. And it's absolutely fascinating. 
Now, again, here's the headline, right? Gun seizures, first step in crime fight in Baltimore. Yeah, compare that to this. 30 years of gun seizures in Baltimore haven't kept the city safe. An analysis of police and crime data from 1990 to 2021 shows what experts elsewhere are saying, that police going after guns has little to no effect on violence reduction. Now, see, here's where I can agree with far lefties like Larry Krasner from Philadelphia, the district attorney there, who says, you know, we really shouldn't be going after a gun possession. I agree with you. Nonviolent possessory offenses, individuals who don't have a a, a legitimate uh, or a serious criminal history. Those are the folks who are driving violent crime. Now, where I would differ with the far-left prosecutors like Larry Krasner and Chesa Budin and uh, San Francisco and others is that they really want to take a soft-on-crime approach overall. Mm-mm. That, that, that's where I step off, right? I get off that, uh, that bandwagon. I do believe that there need to be serious consequences, severe consequences for violent crime. But I also think that the best way to address violent crime in any given community is to focus on the small group of core offenders and leave the law-abiding citizens alone. Not only that, ensure that there is a way for law-abiding citizens to legally exercise their right to keep and bear arms. Because one of the problems we have in these deep blue Democrat-controlled cities is that uh, in many cases, it is impossible for the average citizen to lawfully carry a firearm for self-defense, right? And yet, because the violent crime rates are so bad, many people will choose to break that law, not because they want to go out and commit a carjacking or an armed robbery, but because they want to get home safely at night. And that is the choice that they make. If we can decriminalize our Second Amendment rights and ensure that responsible uh, uh, gun owners and uh, you know law-abiding citizens have the ability to exercise their right to keep and bear arms, no matter if they're living in Baltimore or New York City, Chicago, or Farmville, Virginia, uh, then yeah, I think every citizen would be better off. Uh, and it would also allow police to focus on, again, going after those violent offenders instead of doing what I think is done here in a lot of these cases where, you know, we take the guns off the streets and then there's the metric, right? We took X number of guns off the street. Wow, look at what a good job we did. Yeah, but homicides went up 25%. So how, how what, what was really accomplished here? You apparently took guns away from people who weren't using them to commit violent crimes, but meanwhile, violent crime continues to go up. So uh, Brandon Soderberg, who is the uh, author of this uh, piece at The Real News, uh, spoke with former Baltimore uh, Police Department Commissioner Frederick Bealfield, uh, and he said that uh, starting about 2018, he began to realize that seizing guns was a bit like fighting the drug war. He said it felt endless. He said in Baltimore at the peak of when we were seizing guns, when we were really effective going after guns and trying to get guns off the street, Baltimore PD would take in about 2,500 to 3,000 guns. He said every year in the state of Maryland, every year, 30,000 brand new guns were being sold. We would seize 4,000 and high five and claim victory and have photographs, but we can't even keep up with the flow that they sold that year. Now, listen, here's the thing. If 30,000 firearms are being sold every year in the state of Maryland, again, 99% of them are going to legal gun owners, right? Uh, Given all of Maryland's 
gun control laws that are on the books and were on the books back in 2018, universal background checks, bans on so-called assault weapons, things of that nature. Uh, the gun control laws itself, uh, the, the gun control laws themselves in Maryland, if they actually worked to reduce violent crime, should have prevented criminals from obtaining firearms. Clearly, that wasn't the case, right? So if they're taking 4,000 guns off the streets of Baltimore, off the streets of Baltimore, again, most of those guns not legally owned, right? These are guns that have been stolen. They've been purchased via uh, straw purchases. They've been uh, picked up on the black market. Uh, but these are not legal guns to begin with. Uh, and I, I do take some issue with Bealfield say, well, look at how many guns were legally sold compared to how many guns we took off the streets. We just can't keep up. Well, no, you, you can't. Because, again, the issue isn't legal gun sales. The issue isn't legal gun owners. The issue is violent criminals, right? Uh, Bealfield, uh, as uh, Soderbergh writes, was commissioner from the middle of 2017, or 2007, excuse me, to about the middle of 2012, a period in which Baltimore City famously reduced arrests while also reducing homicides. In 2006, Baltimore police made 90,283 arrests. The city endured 276 homicides. In 2011, Bealfield's last full year as commissioner, Baltimore police arrested 60,009 people, and there were 196 homicides, which was the lowest homicide total that the city had seen since 1977 when there were 171 homicides. So, again, the idea that, well, in order to reduce violent crime, we've got to make more arrests. We've got to take more guns off the streets. No. Actually, you don't. You need to focus on who the offenders are. Now, listen, uh, you know, this report from The Real News, uh, this is not some conservative outlet. This is this is a lefty news site. Uh, and this battleground Baltimore, not a bunch of conservatives either. But they at least acknowledge that most of the opposition to these policies right now are coming from the Second Amendment community. Soderbergh writes, locally, the most vocal critics of this gun-grabbing, statistics-driven strategy have been gun rights advocates, such as Maryland Shall Issue. In testimony provided to legislators earlier this month, Maryland Shall Issue cited gun seizing's inability to reduce violence as a reason for opposing laws that would increase penalties for possessing a quote-unquote ghost gun. Maryland Shall Issue statement reads, there is no correlation, much less cause and effect, between guns seized and violent crime. A more relevant statistic is the clearance rate for serious crimes. The Baltimore Police Department's arrest clearance rate for murder in 2020 was merely 28.7% and only 44.9% in 2011. By comparison, the nationwide clearance rate for murder is 54.4%. Baltimore's clearance rate for homicides is plainly abysmal, a reality that does not go unnoticed by violent criminals and law-abiding citizens alike. And Marilyn Chalice, she was absolutely right about that. And by the way, the homicide clearance rate in Baltimore is about 28%. What's the clearance rate for non-fatal shootings? In Chicago, it's less than 10%. Can't imagine that it's much better in Baltimore, Maryland. So again, <laughs> the politicians and the public officials who uh, uh, you know nominally answer to the public, they have a vested interest and wanting the public to know that they're doing something, right? That's why we see these things like gun buyback programs. But this concentration on seizing guns and taking guns off the street, yeah, it does something, but it doesn't lower the homicide rate. It doesn't reduce the number of non-fatal shootings. 
And here's the proof of this. Baltimore, Maryland. Again, this data provided by, uh, I want to make sure I get this right, therealnews.com. Take a look at this graph. So this is between 1990 and 2021. That top line figure, and for those of you who are listening on the podcast, I will describe, we're looking at four lines here. Uh, Traces of gun seizures, weapon possession arrests, non-fatal shootings, and homicides in Baltimore, Maryland between 1990 and 2021. The number of guns that were seized in Baltimore in any given year, pings up and down, right? There are some years where it is as high as, uh, you know, 5,000 plus firearms taken off the streets, supposedly. Other years, it's as low as 2,000 or so. Weapons possession arrests tend to track with the gun seizures, although there are far fewer weapons possession arrests than there are gun seizures. But non-fatal shootings in the city's homicide rate bear almost no correlation whatsoever. In fact, I don't see a correlation between the non-fatal shootings and homicides and the number of guns that are seized. On this graph, if you look, the year that had the highest total of guns that were seized, right, we saw a tiny little blip in the number of non-fatal shootings. However, As the number of firearms that were seized went down in subsequent years, so too did the rate of non-fatal shootings. And homicides were basically flat at uh, right at or or just below 300 homicides until 2015 when uh, uh, you had the Freddie Gray riots in Baltimore, Maryland. And since then, the city has yet to have fewer than 300 homicides. So I'm fascinated by this. I'm really fascinated by the fact that there are people on the left who are starting to wake up to this. Now, again, I don't think that this shows that, uh, well, we need to abolish the police or we need to, uh, uh, you know, reimagine the criminal justice system and get rid of incarceration. No. What I think this shows is that by focusing again on violent offenders, and there aren't that many of them, there, there, you know, there was just a study that came out actually uh, just down the road from Baltimore, Washington, D.C. Wrote about this at uh, Bearing Arms this week. They say about, this is from the National Institute for Criminal Justice Reform. They say about 500 people are responsible for about 70% of the violence in Washington, D.C. And at any given time, it, the number is actually closer to about 200 people. In a city of half a million, Somewhere between 200 and 500 individuals are responsible for more than half of the violent crime in that city. So you take a look at Baltimore, roughly the size of Washington, D.C., and we, again, are probably talking about somewhere between 200 and 800 people in the city that are responsible for more than half of the violent crime. So when you arrest 4,000 people, and you take their guns away, you're not really having an impact if those 4,000 people aren't the ones who are responsible for the carjackings, the armed robberies, the home invasions, the random killings, the drive-by shootings, right? All you're doing is taking an individual who, uh, again, had no uh, criminal intent, just simply want to be able to protect themselves, and now you are introducing them to the criminal justice system. Uh, there is a much better way. Again, it's why... I, sorry, I don't know if you can hear my rooster right outside. Uh, it's why I talk a lot about uh, programs like Project Ceasefire 
which I, I think hit the sweet spot between providing a way out for individuals who are in a gang that doesn't involve spending 20 years behind bars, but also has that law enforcement component for individuals who don't want to take that help and don't want to take advantage of the opportunity to turn their lives around. And if they continue going down that road, well, that's when their cases end up getting referred to federal court. That's when you see no plea bargains offered. That's when you see gangs disrupted. And that's when you see violence decrease dramatically. Again, generally speaking, with fewer arrests overall, because the goal is to focus on the most prolific offenders in any given community. That's the way to do this. It doesn't involve defunding the police. It doesn't involve abolishing the criminal justice system, but it does require acknowledging and respecting the right of the people to keep and bear arms. I would argue that it's very difficult to successfully put these policies in place when you continue to deprive people of their fundamental ability to not only keep a firearm in their home for self-defense, but to carry a firearm for self-defense in public as well. And again, that's a no-go area for the vast majority of the Democratic Party. And I, I, I wish that it was different. I really do. I would love to be able to go to a voting booth one day and be like, mm, boy, this is tough. I got two pro-gun candidates to choose from. I don't know when, if ever, that will be the case. But um, beyond the politics, there is the public safety issue. And trying to improve public safety at the expense of our constitutional rights, not only uh, is it a flagrant violation uh, of our civil rights, but it is a fundamentally flawed strategy that leads to more heartache more grief, and frankly, more violence and destruction in places like Baltimore, Maryland. All right, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report as well. We will start there, Montgomery, Alabama, where the uh, state house just approved constitutional carry over the objections, by the way, of uh, some sheriffs and, of course, gun control groups. But you know, they're, they're arguing, listen, we, don't, we won't know who's legally carrying a gun if we get rid of the, uh, the carry permits. Yeah, you will. There is actually going to be a database uh, that uh, lawmakers are working on right now of prohibited persons in Alabama. But the broader issue, right now you've got people carrying illegally in Alabama. And that's not going to change just because people are going to be able to lawfully carry a firearm. If they can legally own it, they can lawfully carry it. You've already got people who are in legal possession of firearms who are carrying against the law right now. And the issue is ensuring that there are consequences for those violent criminals who are doing so, right? So, which brings us to today's recidivist report. Man on probation now facing state and federal charges after a Montgomery carjacking. That's right. A Prattville man who was out of prison on probation has been arrested for a similar incident earlier this month. According to state and federal court documents, 32-year-old Stephen Michael Ware now faces first-degree robbery, second-degree kidnapping charges following a February 8th incident in Montgomery, Alabama, in which the victim was held at gunpoint and abducted in her own vehicle. Uh, according to local news reports, uh, Ware was arrested last Thursday, taken to the Montgomery County Detention Facility on $90,000 bail. Uh, but it is the uh, latest 
in a uh, string of legal battles for where he was previously convicted and sentenced to prison for a 2015 incident uh, in which he fired shots during two attempted carjackings. He was sentenced originally to 70 years in prison in 2015. Yeah. Second degree assault, two accounts of first degree robbery, two accounts of discharge in a fireman or an occupied vehicle. Again, total sentence of 70 years in prison. Most of it was then immediately suspended. And he was able to serve a split five-year sentence with five years of probation after pleading guilty to the assault charge. Now, should Mr. Ware have gone to prison for 70 years based on those previous crimes? I mean, honestly, I don't know that I would have had a problem with it, but uh, let's say maybe not, right? Oh, 70 years is too much for that. Second degree assault, first degree robbery, discharging a fireman to an occupied vehicle, uh, which, by the way, that that's, yeah, anyway. Um, 70 years might have been too much. Five years? Not nearly enough. Maybe we could settle in the middle. Maybe 35 years behind bars for this crime, but not five. And so, uh, again, not long after Mr. Ware released from prison, picked up and charged once again with kidnapping, first-degree robbery, because I guess the five-year sentence just wasn't enough for the severity of those crimes to sink in. Uh, Today's armed citizen story, Albuquerque, New Mexico, where a uh, couple were the victim of a home invader. This was a Sunday. Some pretty tense moments. Uh, it was uh, Sunday night around 1120. Uh, there was a uh, basically a one-man crime spree. Police say the man kidnapped three people, broke into several buildings, stole vehicles, shot at people. Uh, started around 1120 Sunday night, ended uh, Monday morning about four hours after the incident began when uh, law enforcement officers uh, lost sight of the uh, guy during a, a car chase where he was driving the wrong way down I-40. Uh, one of the homes that was broken into by this guy uh, was owned by uh, Hope and Lamani Sam. It was about 1.30 Monday morning when the couple says a, a man uh, broke in through the front door, which, by the way, had a security chain, had a deadbolt. He just kicked it in. And the uh, couple say they woke up uh, to the sound of this crash and their home alarm going off. Uh, Lamani Sam said, I grabbed my firearm and I yelled and I let him know that I was armed, that we were armed. And then he took a shot in our home. He said, that's when I barricaded my family in a safe place and I remained there until the Albuquerque Police Department arrived. So, you know, on the one hand, most of our armed citizen stories don't involve hunkering down with a gun uh, until police arrive. But on the other hand, if Sam and, excuse me, Lamani and uh, Hope Sam who, by the way, had their young kids with them, too, uh, if they believe that their best recourse was to, again, retreat to a back bedroom, have that firearm there in case the guy came through the door while they're on the phone with police, good for them. Everybody survived. Everybody is unharmed. And Lamani Sam was in a position where he could defend himself, his wife, and his kids uh, if that intruder came through that uh, last line of defense. Uh, Again, uh, unfortunately... Uh, it sounds like they don't necessarily have this guy in custody at this point. So we'll be keeping an eye out uh, for this story. But I, I cannot help but think that uh, many of these Sam's friends who are not gun owners, or at least who weren't gun owners this past weekend, maybe going to a gun store this weekend. Because after seeing something like this, again, these types of crimes can happen to anybody. It's not like this couple knew this guy. 
He just randomly showed up outside of their house, kicked in the front door, and very well could have uh, caused them harm were it not for the fact that they did have a firearm there with which to protect and defend themselves. Uh, Finally today, our good deed of the day, Tulsa, Oklahoma, where a uh, former police officer in Tulsa, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, to save the life of a man ahead of him in the drive-thru of Chick-fil-A. Yeah, Curtis McLaughlin of uh, Shoto, Oklahoma, was in the drive-thru at a uh, Chick-fil-A when he noticed smoke and flames coming from the uh, underside of the truck in front of him. And he thought to himself, uh-oh, if there's that much fire on the ground, there's got to be more fire up in the engine. So he told his wife, I think the guy's truck's on fire. He was in the passenger seat of his wife's vehicle. He got out, ran up to the truck, grabbed the 80-year-old driver, John Price, and was able to pull him out from behind the wheel. He said, I noticed that there were flames coming up underneath the hood of the car. He said, so he was getting close as far as getting inside the cab. Um, he then instructed the staff inside of the store to call 911. They were able to give him a fire extinguisher from the kitchen. So he was able to keep the flames in check until the Tulsa Fire Department arrived there. The uh, two men recently had a chance to reconnect, by the way. Uh, The owner of that local Chick-fil-A, David Chen, uh, helped to identify uh, McLaughlin as the Good Samaritan who jumped into action, reached out and said, uh, hey, by the way, chicken sandwich is on us for a while. Uh, But he was also able to uh, reconnect uh, with Mr. Price. And uh, he said that uh, the elder gentleman was very touched uh, by his efforts to make sure that he got out of harm's way. Uh, By the way, uh, Curtis McLaughlin, former Tulsa police officer, apparently just completed his education to become a nurse. So from one, uh, uh, you know, line of uh, a first response to another, uh, we thank you for your very good deeds. We wish you all of the best in your uh, future endeavors. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to wish you all the best as well for the rest of your Wednesday and uh, until we talk again on Thursday. Don't forget you can check out BearingArms.com. In the meantime, and that way you won't miss a single bit of Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about, uh, we will return tomorrow. But until then, be well, be safe, and be free. <laughs>